The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In these times of rapid change, chaos, and crisis... A new wave of legendary leaders is rising up to answer their higher calling. Many are not famous nor have followers, though some do. They are brave individuals like you, seeking your highest truth and committed to deep personal change. Welcome to Legendary Leaders, Answering the Higher Calling, with your host Maria Danley. Here is the innovative support you've been looking for to become the legendary leader you are destined to be. Now, here's Maria Danley. Gather round and let us tell you a story. Let us weave a timeless legend right and true. Let us talk of dragons, of Merlin, of Celts and fairies too. Listen as we speak of Arthur and of the knights and ladies of the round. Be hushed as we speak of the lady, the lady of the realm. Gather round. We are eager to tell you a tale, a tale, a legend, right and true. Welcome. I moved through the dragon's breath, the mist that Merlin sent to me in my morning meditation. I journeyed to Merlin's wood. It was wetter than usual today, and my clothes were soaked through by the time I entered his home. My nose was stuffy, and I took a moment to clear my energy by standing between a tourmaline and a large citrine inside the opening of Merlin's tree home. I pushed aside the dark moss-green velvet curtain that stands between the crystal chamber and his main hall. It is lighter inside this room, and Merlin is pacing inside as he's reading a book. He looks silhouetted against the shafts of sunlight that are streaming through the diamond-shaped leaded glass windows a few stories above his head. But he is pacing, greeting me by saying, it's good to get a little bit of exercise now and then, as he smiles at me and closes his book. We greet. The thrill of his presence and his warm welcome are there once again. We begin today's discussion by my asking him, what was it like for you as a child to be in the fairy realm? He tells me that when he was very young and just crawling, His mother, Elaine, knew well where the fairy portals were, and she would take him through the portals where they would sit inside, moving out of the human realm into the fairy realm, and they would attune to the different energy there. He tells me that he loved being in the fairy realm because it was quiet, and there was a deep sense of stillness, a sense of awe and mystery to be there, 
To him, it was a more sacred space, and you could feel, you could feel that spirituality, that sacred space in the thickness of the air. He told me that he sensed many eyes there watching him, which was actually comforting to him in contrast to the human realm, where there were no eyes that wished to look upon him. When he would come into the fairy realm, he felt the many friendly eyes looking upon him and everything else. The eyes of the trees, the eyes of leaves, everything was more conscious and connected with a strong presence, a strong awareness of what was going on here and everywhere all at once. It was hard to put into words, he said, but that came close enough. And in that stillness, time was more bendable. These woods felt more like a real home to me, he said, when his mother took him here on these outings, and he got used to finding the portals on his own when he was much older. His mother had taught him well. Merlin was describing to me about the time when his mother introduced him to a fairy friend of hers, who would later become one of Merlin's mentors when he was much older. I closed my inner eyes listening to his story and watched the scene as if I were dreaming it. I could see it in present time. Oh, the fairy man is very tall, with blackened hair. His ears are long and floppy, similar to a hound's ears. His eyes are very small, black and bead-like. He has a beard and darkened tan skin, and he's holding a staff as he strokes his beard, talking to Elaine. Elaine is telling him that Merlin would like to know more about the fairy realm, and asks him if he would take Merlin under his wing to teach him. She explained, she explains to him that Merlin is older now and ready to learn about who he is and ready for an education. The ferryman's name is Ronrod, or is it Urod? I can't quite hear it on this particular day. Elaine kisses Merlin on his cheek and lets him go off for the rest of the afternoon with her fairy friend on his own. Merlin is thrilled by his first taste of freedom and adventure in this new world. His eyes are round with excitement as he goes deeper into the fairy realm. He particularly loves how the scenery keeps changing. One moment, they're walking in a damp, dark wood in autumn, and in the next moment, they're walking through a grove of sunlight where apple blossoms are falling. They come to a deer path and cut off the main road that they are on. Up ahead is a piece of cloth tacked up between two trees, making a poor shelter, and an old woman is washing clothes by the river. She looks up, and she is hag-like, but has a joyful grin, and she welcomes them to come closer. It is clear by her presence that she, too, is a powerful magician. She's an ancient, ancient one, a fairy queen in that realm, who is revered for her wisdom and her magic. Ronrod tells me about the boy. He tells her about the boy and what Elaine has asked him to do. She grins at Merlin and gestures for him to sit down as they sit by her small fire. A brew of pungent herbs is brewing in an old tin can on the fire. The old old hag looks up in my direction at this time, directly at me, but I feel that I am an observer and I look around to see what she is looking at. I look back to her and she shakes her head no, hearing my thoughts, and beckons me to come over, giving me a clear indication that I am part of this meeting too. I join the party and the two magicians start talking to Merlin. 
The old hag hands Merlin a small ladle of this thick brew out of the tin can. It's bitter, with tree bark and old roots and tastes terrible. Merlin's face grimaces as he wants to spit it out, but she smiles and nods to him as he swallows hard. She knows this brew will help him to shift his perceptions and open his ears more fully to what she and Ronrod want to tell, tell him about his ancestry and his heritage. Merlin asks, Who am I? I know that I'm half human and half fairy, but it's so difficult for me to be around people. I'm not liked, and I feel ashamed of myself. I don't like the way I look. I feel uncomfortable unless I'm alone. I put up with them, and they put up with me, but it isn't a happy arrangement. And he looks down. Ron Rod looks at the boy and says, Merlin, your mother thinks it's time for you to hear who you really are. She has asked me to tell you, and if you are willing, there are teachers here who would like to mentor you where you could spend more time with us in your schooling. Would you like that? Merlin looks up with real interest. The ferryman continues, Much of what we are about to tell you won't make much sense to you now, Merlin, but it will in time. There is so much to tell you and so much that you will learn here. Listen now as if we are telling you a tale or just telling you a story. It's not important for you to understand all of this right now. The old hag stirs the fire and waits for him to look up. She tells him, You are a magician, Merlin, and have been one for many ages past. You've had many lifetimes, many incarnations, Merlin. Do you know what I'm talking about? He nods. Do you want to hear more? He nods again. The fairy queen leans in and looks him in the eyes. You are descended from the flight beings, the eagle people from the the star system Sirius, she says, and the dragon beings of Sirius as well. You have the eagle, the hawk, the falcon, the merlin falcon deep inside of you, she pauses. You became highly evolved as an ancient one, a translucent being of Sirius. You became the most highly evolved being there is in Sirius, a shining one. Merlin sits quietly, turning his gaze to the fire. We'd like to spend more time with you here in the fairy realm, Merlin, to teach you more about who you are and help you develop your magic. There are many magicians here who are eager to teach you, he says respectfully. We could do this when you come to visit. All of a sudden, Merlin feels woozy and wants to sleep. He is all at once overwhelmed by what is happening. The crone pulls a pillow and a blanket out of midair as Merlin falls asleep and dreams. I suddenly remember and awaken from my reverie and remember I'm sitting in Merlin's home. He is watching me dreaming of scenes from his childhood. Oh, what what happened next? I say. He smiles and says, there are other visits. And he knows now that it is time for me to come back into my own world. Hello, 
and welcome to Legendary Leaders Answering the Higher Calling. I'm your host, Maria Danley, and I'm honored to be with all of you. Thank you for joining us today. I'm honored today to have an extremely talented and prolific Hollywood writer and producer on our show, Barnett Bain, who will be with us shortly. He's a legendary leader, and he's deeply committed to his inner work and transformation. I'll give you the full introduction shortly. After the interview today, I'm going to give you today's brain tool. This week, it's going to be on how to protect yourself from toxic people who drain you and how to do that in under 60 seconds. Later on, we're going to discuss coming home to self part two, your inner adolescent, how to work with them and love them so that you can find and free up your inner adult who is the only one who can genuinely pursue your higher calling and create the successes you are looking for. We'll be talking about the four hooks where the adolescent gets caught and how that can catch you off guard and pull you out of your power. Then I'll be taking callers today. I don't know how we'll go on time today. We'll see how much we can do, but I'm hoping I can do a coaching demonstration where I'm going to coach one of you live on the air and I'll show you how to work with the inner adolescent. And if there's time, we'll take more calls. Today, I have a special request. I'm going to... uh, want your help. I know now the numbers of you listening, and I'm so grateful for all the listeners who listen to this show live or go back and listen to it in, in, uh, I was going to say rerun, but it's more of a recording. Um, But today I wanted to ask your help. I am looking for the very best way to support you with your needs. And I'm kind of blind here as I do this show, not knowing really who's listening and what your needs are, your energy needs in particular. I'm masterful with hundreds of energy techniques that can rewire the brain. And I'd like to know the ones that you most would like to have. So I'd like to hear directly from you and to hear what you want. And as I say, these tools can rewire your brain and free you of anything, anything that is holding you back in your daily life. And I'd like to know exactly what kind of freedom that you're looking for to get on with your bigger dreams and living the life you really want to live. So I'm in the process of designing a five-month coaching program. It's going to start in March, and I'm asking all of you to go to mariadanley.com, M-A-R-I-A-D-A-N-L-Y. There's no E in there. mariadanley.com, and fill out. You can click a button that says Quick Energy Quiz, and so that I can see which of your energies, energy needs that you want so I can create those for you. So if you would please do go to mariadanley.com and click on that quiz and and fill it out for me. I'd really appreciate that. Also, as a reminder, many of you know it, but I'd love you to join us when the show is over today at 10 minutes past 2 Pacific Standard Time and 10 minutes past 5 Eastern Standard Time. If you go to legendaryleaders.com, you can sign up for my one hour of free tele-channeling. So do you have any questions that you would of things that are standing in your way. Are you blocked about love, money, family, health issues? Any questions you might have, your higher self will give you the answers you need to get unstuck and get on with what you really want. So join us today after the show. Now it's my privilege to introduce my guest today, Barnett Bain. He is a friend of mine. He's been, we've been studying metaphysics for the past oh, 30 years together. Barnett Bain is an award-winning producer and director, a radio host, and a creativity consultant. Some of his film credits include his Oscar-winning What Dreams May Come, where Barnett was the producer. He also received a triple Emmy nominee for his Homeless to Harvard production, 
where Barnett was the executive producer. He also produced and wrote the film The Celestine Prophecy. He was a writer on the production of Jesus and director on The Lost and Found Family. His upcoming productions include Richard Bach's Illusions and Milton's Secret by Eckhart Tolle and Robert Friedman. Barnett is the author of the book of Doing and Being, Simon & Schuster, that will be coming out in September of this year. You can all get it probably online and in the bookstores. He can be heard as a co-host of Cutting Edge Consciousness Radio on KTVAAM, Southern California Talk Radio. He is a member of the Transformational Leadership Council, and you can find out more about him at www.barnettbain.com. Hello, Barnett. Hey, Maria, how are you? I'm doing very well. It's exciting to be able to talk to you. I'm thrilled to be here and to be with your listeners. Well, thank you for, for coming. We, we've we been talking a lot about legendary leaders, and, and I've told the audience how much, uh, how many of them are really out there. They're deeply committed to their spiritual work, and they're doing that inner work of transformation. And I know you've been on this path for quite some time. A while, a while. Um, yeah. When I think back to some of my very earliest memories are of lying in my bed as a, as a boy, as a small boy at night and going to sleep. And as my eyes closed, I can remember lifting out of my body and lifting higher and higher and higher and higher or sometimes falling into my body and falling and falling and falling and falling until uh, eventually there came a point in which I became um, old enough and and socialized enough to suddenly be afraid of that. And um, I remember one time particularly, I suddenly became very afraid that I was floating up so high that I would never come back. And that was the end of that kind of experience. I didn't have it again for about 30 or 35 years. How old were you when you remember that happening? Probably about five. Yeah. Around five years old. So my spirituality... Uh, has been alive in me for a very long time. You know, I, you're the only other, other one person I know where I had a similar experience that I used to do that every night before bed. I would just say, really me, really me, really me, until I'd expand and be up in the stars. And one with God, then I'd fall asleep. Oh. So I, it, it's fascinating to think how many children actually were doing that. My gosh. You well, think I think that, that um, uh, I, I imagine that most children if not all, but certainly most children, uh, have a connection, have a, a, a spiritual connection. It's not a conscious connection. They are, they are aware, but I mean in the way that they are not aware of it being a spiritual connection, but they are aware of having a different relationship uh, to all that is. And we lose that as we grow older, and we're um, conditioned by... Our environments, our parents, uh, our um, our religions, our education system, what we see in the media and on television and movies, and uh, very very quickly, we learn to become separated uh, from our innate uh, connectedness to all things, mm-hmm. and uh, therein begins the um, the launch of our, an entirely different relationship with spirituality and. Uh, a, a journey of discovery and recovery of a connection that we that was once alive in us. Only when we come back, it's as if for the very first time, 
because in the return, we are returning, remembering, reconnecting with eyes wide open, mm-hmm. but with an awareness of uh, uh, that we are one with all things, with all that is, with an awareness of the enchantment, and that makes all the difference. Yes. Well, you and I have known each other for, gosh, almost 30 years. I, I think I started work with Lazarus back in 1986, and we were just learning metaphysics. Yeah. And I'm, wonder, I'm wondering about when, when your spiritual path sort of began as an adult. Did you have an, a moment of an awakening or remembering or an incident when you knew you created your own reality? I had a, I was a, a, I've been a writer for many, many years, and... Um, uh, many, many years ago, I can't even remember how many. My daughter is now 27, so it's probably close to 30 years ago, 29 years ago. I had writer's block, and I went, um, I was introduced to a therapist who helped me through uh, the writer's block and worked with me for the better part of two years, several times a week. And then he came, it came to the moment when he said he fired me as a client. I'm one of the few people that has been fired by their therapist. He said, uh, uh, you've gone as far with, uh, with uh, therapy and psychology as you are going to go, but there is something far grander, far more beautiful, far more powerful, far more meaningful and intimate that lies uh, in store for you if you have the eyes uh, to see and the ears to hear it and the, and the heart to go there. And um, so he took me personally um, to a, a hotel room, to a hotel suite by the Los Angeles airport uh, many years ago and took me by the hand into a small room and there was about 25 people in that room. And um, that was my first introduction to Lazarus and within five minutes, uh, uh, Lazarus, I heard Lazarus say, uh, I heard it for the ve- as if for the very first time, that you create your own reality. And in that moment, I knew that I was home, and I get chills even now as I repeat the story, that I knew that uh, I had come not to the beginning, uh, the end of the first act, but to the, to the beginning of the first act, that now I was really in a place where um, my incarnation could begin. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember many of those workshops in, in the early years, we, we were stumbling along trying to face all kinds of things in ourselves, learning how to take personal responsibility. It certainly has brought us uh, a long way. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I want to hear about you, uh, Barnett. I mean, you have, you've had so many successes, certainly with, with television, especially movies. And what was that like for you to take your spirituality, your metaphysics into film and into Hollywood? <laughs> Well, it's been different things at different points in my life. Um, as a young, as a younger man, it uh, it was very different, and it had, uh, uh, quite frankly, as a younger man, I initially looked upon it as another set of tools that would empower me to to um, better uh, manipulate the same um, uh, reality set, the same perspective, the same uh, mindset that I had about what reality was, but now I had another set of very powerful tools to be a more effective player in it uh, uh, without fundamentally shifting um, any of my ideas of the paradigm, if you know what I mean. I wasn't fundamentally shifting uh, my uh, understanding 
of what reality was. I simply had uh, metaphysics layered on as another superseding set of tools to more be more powerfully and uh, effective, it, largely in the same um, in the same uh, sort of um, without fundamentally changing how I viewed reality, and that worked for quite a while. Uh, when I became a little bit older and a little more seasoned and had a different relationship with spirituality and consciousness and metaphysics, uh, the edges began to come off of that. And um, by degree, gradually, gradually, I began, as I began to shift my understanding of what it was to be a human being and how reality worked, and as I began pieces by pieces by pieces, sort of like percentages, playing the percentages, uh, playing ratios of being uh, in a, uh, of coming from a place where I was, felt separated from the world and uh, having to compete in it um, one moment and in the next moment feeling connected and in a, operating from a place of dominion, from a place of understanding that the world, um, the circumstances, uh, circumstances were not something to be um, to fight against, but a but a mirror from which to draw guidance vis-a-vis my own process, and that reality shifted in accordance with my energy and my resonance, and those kinds, all of that whole cocktail of understandings, you know. They're always in flux, and they're always growing, and they're always shifting, they're always changing, there's always new understandings. And as I would have moments of understanding the ways that I re- responded to the world and, and reacted in the world and expressed myself in the world, they would change, and sometimes they would be more integrated and sometimes less integrated. And when you're speaking specifically about my work, um, uh, the work at some times was an opportunity to uh, express new ideas that I had um, and share them in the world. And that's not quite how I feel about it nowadays. Um, the work is uh, one more expression of um, how I show up in the world. And it is... Um, of the same, it's of the same sort of nature as how I do um, husbanding and how I do fathering and how I do friending and how I show up on my friend's radio show. Uh, it's simply another opportunity, as a, as it's been said, as it's been said first by your sister. It's an opportunity for lucid living. Yes, and, absolutely. Uh, so, I hope that's somewhat of an answer to your question. <laughs> well, I thought you were going to talk about Robin Williams and what dreams well, I'm may not, come. You know, I, I'm, I'm very, uh, I, it's with lots of sadness, particularly um, as we go into the new year. It's a lots of sadness that I look back upon um, the life of Robin Williams, and I'm grateful for having had a small, um, uh, an opportunity to share a small part of that life. And, yeah. But... Um, that's about all I'm going to say about Robert Williams. I just I wish him uh, love and and well-being. We all do on his journey. Yep. I I I think 
it was, it's interesting when you first can get into the, the spiritual path and there can be a, a phase where you feel like you know everything and, and, and now you can teach everybody. And I think that's a very early stage. And then as you get more seasoned and you're learning uh, more about the metaphysics and you're applying it, it's a, it's a lot of applying, a lot of inner work to get there, you start to realize, wow, I, I could start manifesting anything I want. You can have a kind of almost a proprietary feeling about it and ownership of it. But then as you get more and more Deeper, deeply connected in the connection to spirit, to soul, your higher self, and to the all that is, there is this feeling of realizing, wow, I'm, I'm in some kind of a jet stream where I can start to really receive my life instead of yes. feeling that I'm, I'm making it happen. Yes. And, and I, there's, I, there's I assume that's that true for you. There's a paradox to it because um, we come in thinking, well, I can create anything I want because I create my own reality. And yeah. that is true until it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I cannot create anything that I want. Um, I can only create anything I want inside a certain subset of uh, reality that is the reality that I can create. And eventually there's uh, a growth and expansion into an understanding that the reality that I can create is, um, is, uh, does not live up to the potentials of the reality that I can create co-create and ultimately the reality that is created for me and mm-hmm. then the comes a new set of challenges uh, and that and, and for me the challenges are of letting go and surrendering my um control and my own um feelings of being safe and unsafe and vanities and all of these sorts of things and uh, in order to um, allow for a reality that is being both co-created with me and beyond that being given to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I've designed this show in a way to support and champion a number of what I'm calling legendary leaders out there, people who are the quiet ones at home that don't even think of themselves as leaders, but they're deeply doing that inner work. And they, as Lazarus once told us, decades from now in the future, they'll look back at these people doing this inner work and they will be astounded by all that we accomplished. And my listeners want to hear from you in terms of, I I know that you're an inspiration in my life. What do you think they want to hear in terms of you know, keep going or how you would champion this group of people who may not even know that they are leaders? Well, I wish I had, um, I wish I had a, an answer for that, an easy answer for that. I don't have an easy answer for that. Um, what I'll say is that uh, in my own life, my own life is um, increasingly a commitment to live into and be an expression of my highest authenticity and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And um, I, have an, I have a strong intuition, I have a strong knowing that, um, that in the exploration, in the discovery of that, and in the being discovered by that, that I can be an inspiration uh, and I can be a support, and I can have impact on on others and and on my world in ways that are not linear, that are not um, this this step follows this step follows this step uh, linear in the way that we currently understand the world. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I would I would urge uh, your listeners, our listeners, to uh, trust themselves 
to trust their inner voices, uh, to um, to live as authentically as they can, uh, and follow their own path, make their own path, be inspired by others, but uh, always to be unique, be an individual, not to live a hand-me-down life. Yeah, but to have the courage to uh, to know that. Um, that uh, a, a, a metaphysician's life, a spiritual life, is uh, does not look like anybody else's life, and we're yes. often tempted to compare ourselves and to contrast ourselves and to um, to look at others and measure ourselves against these sorts of things, and uh, uh, that is that is not helpful. That does not uh, lead us towards our towards the goal of who we really are and who we can be. Yes, you're speaking too about one of the qualities of chivalry, the the knight of courage, which is about living your life, living the life that is yours to live, and not somebody else's or or some life someone else is asking you to live, but to have the courage to pursue what really comes from within inside yourself. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and uh, we can be inspired to um, trust ourselves. Uh, in living an, uh, an authentic individual life, a signature life, we can we can develop the trust uh, to do that with more and more courage and more and more flow. Uh, especially when we begin to recognize in the lives of others that uniqueness. When we look around, when I look at you, for instance, um, it is very clear that your life is um, a uh, is your own creation. It is your own artful creation. And yes, it draws inspiration from the lives of, uh, of others, but it is a very uniquely crafted life. And that is inspiring to me as it is inspiring to, to uh, many of our listeners and to many of your friends. And uh, I suspect that energetically, here's where it gets a little bit uh, woo woo, because yes, it's easier to draw connections to uh, inspiration that we can look at and see at and directly be inspired by. by. But I, I am quite intuitively certain that even uh, if we don't physically um, see uh, the inspiration, that energetically the inspiration is felt right across the planet. That no thought or action, no deed, no feeling goes um, contained, that every thought and every feeling ripples across the universe. And so we are always, always, we are all always having enormous impact in ways that we currently do not understand, but can begin to um, own, we can begin to know with uncertainty. So true, and that's why I say that there are so many leaders out there that are just doing this inner work. They are changing the course of the future, and at the same time, they may say, "I'm not a leader. I don't have followers." It well, has nothing to do with that. In your, in your backyard, without ever leaving your backyard, uh, if if the um, undertakings of your life in that backyard are uh, gracious and generous, are giving. If they are, uh, if you are giving to a world energetically, there is much impact that you can have without ever leaving your bedroom. Absolutely. 
Well, I'm I'm excited to have you here today, Barnett, and I know that you have uh, you do a lot of radio. So all of you out there, you can hear Barnett on his own radio show. He can be heard uh, as a co-host on the Cutting Edge Consciousness Radio. It's on KTVA AM, Southern California. That talk radio. That's one place to find them. And for those of you that are not in uh, or can't find that particular station, you can go to www.cuttingedgeconsciousness.com and you'll be able to hear more of what Barnett is saying and hear all of his wisdom. <laughs> so I'm curious if there's something else that you feel like you would like to talk about here. We've, we've oh, spoken. my, I'd like to talk about anything. You and I, we, we can talk for days. Well, I'm, for I'm days. sorry, we have about three minutes here, three so minutes. I want to make well, sure I that... Have a suggestion. Uh, I'm not sure when our listeners, uh, they're all each going to come to this in their own timing, I guess, but uh, it's pretty much approaching the end of the year. And a wonderful time to, um, as we are setting intentions and goals for next year, to also look back upon this last year and to take note of um, the achievements and the accomplishments and to maybe to sit down. I know I did this last night and I made a long list of all of the things that uh, happened and that were, I created and that I received. Uh, all of the things in all of the areas so that I could really take stock and own them and also pause, put the clutch in, and celebrate them. In the holding of that celebration, in the ownership of the triumphs and the achievements, as well as the shortcomings and, and the failings, we own it all and we celebrate what was good and true, and then we look forward to the next year. Oh, that's beautiful, Barnett. And how wonderful for us to be able to celebrate ourselves. I don't think people might think about doing that so much. What am I not only grateful for in the year, but what can I celebrate in me that I'm proud of, even if no one else knows about it? We. Ha- I'm just curious for you, is there one thing you just want to say you're celebrating in yourself right now? I'm celebrating one thing. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, one. We've got one. One thing. Well, I'm, celebra- I'm celebrating... Um, being on this program, uh, and I mean that at a number of levels, I'm celebrating that I have become as a man uh, who has um, sufficient uh, intimacy with what has mattered most to me in life that, uh, that I would be asked to come and speak about it on your radio show. Uh, so I'm celebrating that, that I am... Uh, on track for what it is that my life is about and that uh, I'm being recognized as being on track for what my life is being about. And that is cause for major celebration and gratitude. Well, how beautiful. And I'm celebrating you're on the show, absolutely. I'm celebrating I even have this show and then I get to talk about Merlin and Arthur. That's been a dream for decades. So thank you so much, Barnett. It's a joy talking with you always. I'm always inspired and, and I like giggling when I'm around you. You're so much fun. <laughs> we need a little more giggling time, but thank you so much for being on the air today. And again, everybody, www.cuttingedgeconsciousness.com to hear more of Barnett. Thank you, Barnett. Thank, you. thank to you. you so much to all of our listeners hope to be back another time thank you love to you too thank you yes thank you barnett so coming up after this break we're going to have the brain tip of the week have you ever wanted to know a quick way that you could protect yourself from let's say people who drain your energy 
That's coming up right after the break. Brain tip this week is uh, is what I call how to protect yourself from toxic people who drain you technique. And it really is miraculous. It's very fast. Um, I, I usually don't, I'm not around too many toxic people as I used to be when I was much younger. But I will say there are times when you can feel yourself at work or at a party or out in public and you're just feeling, you're feeling drained. And many of you who are doing your deep inner work are highly sensitive people, most of you are, and it's very easy for your energy to get drained. So what you want to do is protect your aura. And I'm going to give you the one that I do whenever I'm speaking um, in front of groups of people. I'm leading a seminar. I will often circle my aura this way, and it just takes a moment. You close your eyes, and you imagine that in around your aura, you see that egg-shaped or that oval-shaped sphere that is your aura. And you can imagine, first of all, I like to put a, a lovely aquamarine, the actually from the crystal, but the aqua, aquamarine color on the outside of my aura, which connects me more to that goddess energy, the more divine feminine energy. And on the outside of that, I put a big bubble of tourmaline. You can have black tourmaline, watermelon tourmaline, whichever color. There's green. There, there are different colors of tourmaline. And that, that particular crystal, and you can just imagine it surrounding your aura, that will protect you from not only outer negativity, but also your own. But the fast technique that I will always do when I'm knowing that I can, could get bombarded and I need to protect my energy is I put a mirror on the outside of my aura and have the mirror facing out so that the mirror as it faces out, if you do happen to be around a particular person at work or um, in a family gathering, let's say, but you know that you have a tendency, a, a weakness where you drain energy to that person, you can always put up a bubble of a mirror and have that point out and that energy won't be able to get in as easily, certainly. And a real even more so, if if I'm uh, feeling I need extra protection, I'll sometimes put a moat around my aura and a six-foot, a ten-foot moat of water. And I imagine these big iron, they look like bear claws, are swimming around in the water. And if any energy that's, it is not positive is coming at me, those bear claws will chomp it right up. And that 
has many times when I lead lots of courses, that will keep my energy up fully for the full time of the course. So that's the brain tip of the day. The one under 60 seconds, just put a big mirror on the outside of your aura. Remember that throughout the day and you will be fully protected. We turn next now to to, um, talking about, as I mentioned, we launched a couple of weeks ago this idea of what are some of the fundamentals that you need as a legendary leader to answer some of the, let's say, the voices that are in your head. The bigger picture in that is that you are a multidimensional being and you have many voices in your head. And it's time to start thinking of yourself as the CEO. You are the CEO of, put your name in, Inc., And as CEO, you can imagine yourself sitting at a table and you are the one who's in charge and you've got these other voices that are talking in your head. Well, the way to start learning how to discern who they are is to separate them all out individually. You have a child, you have an adolescent, you have a parent. And right now for these programs, when we're focusing on the child, the adolescent and the parent inside of you, Learning what makes the difference in these voices. How can I tell which is which? And sometimes they're really obvious, like the child. Oh, I just don't want to work. You know, can't we can't, can't we have a big man that's just going to come and take care of us? Or I want a mommy who will just love me. You can hear that voice sometimes, male or female. The adolescent is a little different. <clears throat> and it, it seems to me that in most of the world, I would say more people are trapped in adolescent. And you see it so much in the media. The media... Um, let's say it puts out so much advertising that is trying to appeal to that adolescent inside all of us with the fast cars, the, you know, the, the sexy guys and gals, whatever. It's a very easy place for us to get pulled into buying merchandise for that. But when we spoke about the child in particular and what their needs and wants are, the four hooks that the child has, I mentioned four hooks that does hook the child. And for those of us who are, we get wounded in life. We all know that. The big picture again is that what we're doing as legendary leaders is learning how to rewire the programming that we picked up in our brains from age zero to seven. We just sucked it all in naturally from the thoughts, feelings, energy of our parents, but not also their parents and their parents' parents, three generations. We picked up all of that when we stepped into this body. So in this rewiring, I say that the child part of us gets hooked in four hooks, four places. One, the child wants perfect love. This is a recap. Two, the child is getting stuck also in self-centeredness. And three, the child is a victim, and they truly are. They can't take care of themselves. And that fourth hook is a sense of defenselessness. And that in their way is their way to, to be protected, is to, in some ways, show that defenselessness. And that those are the four hooks. So if you find yourself stuck there, wanting perfect love, self-centeredness, feeling a victim, or feeling utterly defenseless in this world, most likely you are operating in your child. So how does it work then with the adolescent? What are the four hooks? Well, what changes here is that rather than wanting perfect love, the adolescent gives up on that and now wants perfect understanding. They just want you to understand them perfectly. And any of you parents out there may recognize this in your own children who have grown up in our adolescence or maybe remember the time. They not only want you to understand them perfectly, they want you to be psychic about it. They, they have this idea that, um, well, 
I can't get perfect love, but I certainly can get perfect understanding. And they often will say, when you think of adolescence, they'll think, say things like, oh, mother, you just don't understand. They, they want you to understand them not only perfectly, but also psychically. So perfect understanding is a place where many of us can get hooked. You remember when you were an adolescent, maybe you wanted to dye your hair a certain color or wear ripped jeans after your mother was trying to get you brand new ones. It's that kind of thing where we want to act out and that somehow mother and parents should understand, but they just somehow never do. That's the first hook. The second hook is around self-importance. The adolescence, the adolescent right now can get hooked in that that self-importance. No longer self-centered, it now turns to self-importance. It's given up on that. It says, you know, I am not the only one now in the universe, but I am the only one who matters. Yes, you have feelings, but I have feelings. I have feelings, and of course that means I'm the only one that counts. If I can't go to the party, I might as well die. They can be very dramatic, a black and white world. They can love their best friend one day and hate them the next and that kind of thing. And that's because the adolescent really is panicking about growing older. The child is caught in a place of becoming adaptive just to get along. The adolescent is getting hooked now in panic. So that second hook for them is self-importance. The world, if anything is happening in the world, it's happening to them. Others have problems, but why are they doing this to me? Why are you doing this to hurt me? You might hear your adolescent say they're in pain. The third hook for the adolescent is no longer victimhood. They are not victims now. They're growing older. Now it's martyrhood. The child can't be responsible. The adolescent can be responsible, but just chooses not to be. I make a choice, I know, but I'm not going to be responsible. I know I'm supposed to clean my bedroom and take out the garbage and do dishes every other night. If I, and if I can't do it, I can't have my allowance. They, they can be very upset about that kind of thing. So let's just say they go, they have things they're supposed to do to get their allowance and they don't do it. And they might say, well, where is my allowance? You know, well, you didn't do the things I asked you to do. But I intended to do these things. Doesn't that count? And it just somehow doesn't work that way, does it? The martyrs, that's the quality here. That's the third hook. Getting hooked in martyrs. I could be responsible, but I choose not to be. I'm a martyr. And the energies when you can find when you are hooked in your martyr is when you are feeling misunderstood, unappreciated, hopeless, helpless. There are helpless situations all over the place in adolescence and getting blamed for things that you feel you have nothing to do with being held accountable for things that you have nothing to do with with you as well. And, you know, feeling that you're being, being brought up by these parents. But you'll find those energies I just described is when we can tell we're in murder, you can ask yourself those questions. The fourth hook, and this is the last, uh, the obvious one or big one for the adolescent, is no longer, that they're, whereas they were defenseless as a child, now they are defensive. And you can see it in people when they're, um, when they are feeling defensive, or you can see it in yourself when you're being defensive. And that most often that the hook right there is the adolescent. So if you find people in your reality that are expecting you to understand them perfectly without communicating verbally, that are totally self-important as everything you do is a reflection of or upon them, that are totally or oftentimes in their martyrhood and defensiveness to hear anything to the contrary, 
you'll find that those people usually are in their adolescence or if you find those most often, and this is where we really want you to look, is finding them in yourself. You might want to stop and say, oh, my adolescent needs me. I'm going to go in and work with them. We won't have time to do any coaching with the adolescent today, but I wanted to prepare you for that. We'll be, we'll be working with that next time, and we'll go a little deeper into this, how to work with the adolescent. But for those of you who want to be prepared for that, get pictures of yourself in adolescence and, and just try and see beneath the pain that, to the pain that they're in. They're performers. They're performing all the time. And write perhaps a love letter to them. Write about that time. What was that particular wound that really hurt you? in adolescence and we'll be talking more about that next week so we're coming close now to the the end of the show and i just wanted to say uh, you know it's about all the time that we have today sorry we didn't get to talk to live callers it's always fun when we can talk to you live but for those of you again come on the show uh my telechanneling call that comes on at 10 minutes past this hour after the call i'd be happy to channel answers for you But for those of you who don't want to come on a public call or call in to get answers from your higher self, and you want a way to go much deeper in your process and have more time with me privately, you can book a one-to-one higher self reading with me. And you can do that by going to mariadanley.com, mariadanley.com, and signing up. Or you can email me directly at maria at legendaryleaders.com, just Email maria at legendaryleaders.com and let me know that you want a higher self-reading and I'd be happy to call you and we can book that. So I'll be connecting again with some of you in just about oh, 10 minutes from now, the telechanneling call every Tuesday afternoon starting exactly 10 minutes after the radio show ends, 2.10 Eastern, Pacific Standard Time, 5.10 Eastern Standard Time. And you can sign up and find that information by going to legendaryleaders.com. So please go there. Again, my big request today is please go to mariadanley.com to take the quick energy quiz. It really is fast. You're going to learn where you get hooked with your energy, so it'll be very useful. And it's going to help me to design not only this coaching program, but I'm going to be able to answer your needs. And my five-month coaching program will be rewiring your brain so that you can get on and create that big successful dream that you've been always wanting. That's our time today. So thank you. Thank you so much to all of you. I am so thrilled to do this show and I really appreciate all of you for coming. Thanks for listening to Legendary Leaders Answering the Higher Calling. It's an honor to support all of you unsung heroes on your journey to become the legendary leaders you are destined to be. And until next week, I send you my love and my best wishes. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for tuning in this week for Legendary Leaders. Maria Danley invites you to join her for another inspiring show next Tuesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Have a wonderful week.